oh, years ago, in 2004, I was going to do something called the Three Peak Challenge to go to the top of Ben Nevis, Scarfield Park and Mount Snowdon in 24 hours. And of the team that was doing it, with the exception of our driver, who was my dad, I was by far the least healthy and the most unfit. Now in the end, last minute, the whole thing got canceled, but I spent months beforehand training so I wouldn't be the one that let the team down. And at the time, I worked in an office on Pines Hill. So after work, three times a week, I would come here to Ludwell Valley Park and run up and down these steep hills, trying to get fit and just causing my calves and thighs to scream in pain. <sighs> Thing about exercise is we know it's good for us, we know we should do it, but we don't really want to do it. Especially that exercise that really pushes us into pain. I know some people say that they love exercise, but they're weirdos and they need to go and talk to somebody about it and deal with the underlying issues. But real hard work exercise is something we would rather avoid. If it's a choice between doing something really hard work or just sitting on the sofa, we want to sit on the sofa. <sighs> I want to talk about this today, this idea that what might be good for you is horrible. And as we think about this journey of discipleship, about becoming a disciple, is that what discipleship is like? Is that what God is like? Just a series of difficult, hard, horrible things because it's good for us. You know that whole thing about take your medicine, it's good for you, and this steaming, gunky, slimy brown liquid that makes you gag, that you have to take because it's good for you. Is that what God's like? I can remember when I first became a Christian, just being terrified that if I really gave God control, he would give me a horrible life, that I imagined he would send me away to some foreign country and I would be miserable because ultimately it would be good for me, but I would hate it. We are doing a series thinking about these things we want to start called discipleship groups. 
And a discipleship group is to say to God, what is it you want me to do? What is the next thing for me and how am I going to go about doing it? Is that a dangerous question to ask? Is that terrifying? Do we have to be crazy to even ask God about that? You see, I think we have, even if we know the correct answers, I think often in the back of our minds, somewhere rattling around, is this idea that God isn't very nice. At best, he's disinterested and austere, but at worst, he's actually hard and cruel. These ideas are cultural ideas. They're ideas we get from our earthly experiences of authority. These are ideas that come from medieval ideas about God. But the Bible reveals to us a God that's very different, a God who is loving and good. And it goes to great lengths to show that to us. And one of the ways it does it is it uses this analogy of a parent. So when Jesus is telling us what God is like in Matthew 7, he says this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Exeter Vineyard is full of good dads, full of good dads. But what Jesus is saying that God's goodness is so far along the scale, so far that our goodness is closer to evil. We might as well be grouped with evil because God is so much more good than we can even imagine. These discipleship groups that we want to encourage people to take part in are built around asking God, what is, it you're, what is your saying to me? What are you nudging me about? What are you prompting me? And what am I going to do about it? And we need to know that God has good stuff for us. Otherwise, there's no point really doing that exercise. And I'll give you an example why this idea can be rattling around in our head. I think if you went to people, just to an average Christian, and said to them, what does God want you to do? I think the unthinking answer people will give us, the most immediate answer people will say is, he wants me to pray more or he wants me to read my Bible more. Now, those are two good things and possibly God does want that. But why are we answering that? I think one of the reasons is we have this sneaking suspicion that God is disappointed with us. So what he's saying to us really is, can you just try a little bit harder? Can you buck up, pull up your socks? Just put a little bit more effort in. Stop coasting around and do more stuff. Do more religious duty stuff. And then I'll be more happy. Is that what the Bible tells us God is like? Is he disappointed? Do you know, a great antidote to this would be to look through the Bible and see some of the things it tells us about God. It says that all his work, that ultimately was Jesus dying an awful death on the cross, all this work to rescue us, messed up sinners who had turned our backs on God, all of that was his great pleasure. It gave him pleasure to do it because he loves us so much. It talks in the Old Testament, it talks about God gathering us to his chest and singing joyful songs over us. Just as you might sing to a, a little baby because you are so happy to just be holding them. 
or the story of the prodigal son, when that younger son comes back with the most self-interested of motives and the most self-interested of apologies. But before he can even say any of that, the father has pulled up his robes and is sprinting towards his lost child. This is what God is like, not disappointed, not wishing we'd buck our ideas up and try a bit harder. And I really think we need to understand that because the kind of things in discipleship groups we want to be open to is God's giving us good gifts. The gift to live a human life, the life he intends for us to become the person he created us to be. And that is so much more than the narrowness of just religious activities or, or what we think of as spiritual activities. That God is going to prompt us to push into relaxation and rest and enjoyment and relationships of trying new things. Sometimes it is stepping out of things that we're comfortable in doing, but that's because he wants to grow us, he wants to open us up to new opportunities on the other side. But we need to have a, a mind that's open to the goodness of God in order to be able to receive what he has for us. There's a picture that I heard about God that I find really helpful in this. I read it in a John Ortberg book, but someone told me it originates with G.K. Chesterton. And it's a way of seeing God as the joyous creator. And so it's talking about daisies and we live in a post-machine age. So if you wanna have lots of daisies, you make a daisy machine and you manufacture daisies. So we might think of you know, not probably, we probably don't think like this, but if we were to think about it, we'd probably think about when God created daisies, he got, made a daisy machine and he pulled the lever and it produced, manufactured loads and loads of daisies. And we now know that that manufacturing process is reproduction and genetics and all that. But this idea pictures the motivation and the mechanics of the manufacture of daisies differently. And it talks about a, a young child. And you know if you take a young child and you throw them up and catch them and they shriek with joy and they giggle and they say, again. So you throw them up, they shriek with joy, they giggle, they say again. So you throw them up, they shriek with joy and giggle and they say again. And this goes over and over until you as the adult just run out of patience and stop. Well, perhaps a truer understanding of God is to see God more like the small child than that adult who's lost patience. That God makes a daisy, shrieks with joy, giggles and says again. And makes a daisy, shrieks with joy, giggles and says again, and never runs out of patience, never runs out of joy, never runs out of his unending, unfailing love. This is the God of the universe, not this strict, distant school teacher who's slightly upset. But, but the creator who is so full of joy and love and wonder and life. This is the God that we are going to and say, be in charge of our lives. What do you want us to do? This is why for discipleship groups, we need to settle this because we want discipleship groups not to be something you just do because it's the thing that we've suggested or you just do complacently or you know you, you just fill some time with it. So we want it to have a reasonably high bar. We want it to be really accessible. 
but you, you need to find an hour a fortnight to do it. And you need to commit yourself to that because you are doing it with other people and you are enabling or disenabling them to do it by your own commitment. But the other high commitment is to be prepared for God to disrupt your life, to say, I'm living my default life, but God, if you want to lead me out of that into sometimes things that might be uncomfortable, but will be good for me. Sometimes it is a bit like taking medicine, but sometimes it's gonna be things that are just wonderful that I didn't know that God was interested in. And this is fantastic. And I found his joy in me finding joy. In my enjoyment, I've met God, all these things. So to be able to say to God, you can disrupt my life. We need to make sure that we have a good understanding of who God is. And so this week, in preparation for doing that, in preparation for us building towards, you know, suggesting people start these discipleship groups, I think it would be great for us to try and discover a bit more about who God is and what he's like. And so one of the ways you can do this is this week, just invite God into the ordinary, mundane, what we think of as unspiritual parts of our lives and ask him to get involved and see what happens. These are areas of our lives that we normally do totally in our own strength, probably without even thinking about God. So I'm talking about finding a parking space, finding that thing in the supermarket that you're not sure they have it or not. Um, that task that you haven't really sorted out how you're gonna do it, or that person that you need to have a conversation with, or that solution to that problem, these things, just instead of just getting on with it, say, God, can you help me? You know, make these requests with thanksgiving. God, I thank you that you are a provider. I thank you, you are gonna provide me with that parking space. And I pray I'd see your provision near where I wanna go. I pray, I thank you that you give me so many good things. I pray that you'd help me find this ingredient, whatever it is. You see, what I think often happens is we discover God is involved. And in doing that, we discover something about God, that he is the God of the small things, that he is interested in the minutia of our lives, the real mundane everydayness of our lives. This is a wonderful God, the God that is giggling and shrieking with joy over daisies. He's the same God that is involved with you as you do the house cleaning and as you write work emails, not just the God who's in the churchy bits of your lives. And this is really good. I think it's really encouraging when we see God at work in those places. So God, we thank you. He says, you'll give good things when we ask. Lord, the thing that we ask is to be truly alive, to, to be a, a whole human being, to discover the person you created us to be and live the life that you created us to live. We thank you that you wanna do that. And so we wanna discover that with you. And we wanna learn that you are trustworthy. You are full of unfailing love. So even this week, Lord, we pray that we would see you at work, even in the small things. Help us remember not to try and do everything in our own strength, but invite you to be involved. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Thank you.